Hack and brew crew, hack and brew crew. Welcome to the main Hike and Brew Crew podcast. This week, Owen and I are joined by Sean Sullivan of the Maine Brewers Guild. We talk about the trends in the industry and the work the Guild is doing to help craft brewing grow here in Maine. More importantly, we enjoy some great beer from Trinken in West Bath. And for more information about the Brewers Guild, you can go to mainebrewersguild.org. For more information about what we talk about on the show, look for our Facebook page. And as always, you can look for future episodes on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the show. Good evening. We are coming to you from uh, Trinken in West Bath. And uh, this is uh, Owen and Matt with the uh, Maine Hike and Brew Crew podcast. And we have a special guest this week, uh, Sean Sullivan of the Maine Brewers Guild. So we're going to do a, a quick introduction. I'm just going to say hello and cheers from hey, Trinken. Cheers. Hey, And uh, the most important order of business, what is everybody drinking? I'm drinking the uh, Trinken Brewing Kolsch. Oh, you're drinking the Kolsch too, I think. Owen has the Kolsch and Owen also has... At, at the recommendation of the owner, and as you know, just uh, I got the uh, Schnapsity, which is their uh, sour beer. So I'm passion you know, fruit, passion fruit sour beer, which is um, Owen is tr- going soft on us <laughs> and trying some <laughs> some soft beer. Uh-huh. All right, it's a hard beer in my mind. And I'm I'm rocking the coals too. I think we're all similar mind. It's warm weather. You know, you drink your light beer. Nothing nothing wrong with that. So Sean. Um, I want to kind of get to know you. Um, tell, tell me not only about your position, but how did you get into it? Without without me, like, getting so much alcohol into me that I would, like, say very explicitly the thought in my head, like, what do you have to do to get a position where yeah. you're promoting beer? How did you get a position? First of all, for the record, I've definitely, like, submitted applications over my professional life. And they're like, there's no way I'm going to get this, but, man, it would be so cool if I did. And I do realize that I feel like my job is – like, if, if my job were to open up, I feel like other people definitely feel that way. I was like, that probably belies the reality in some ways of what uh, the job is. But basically, so – um, we were chatting earlier, but like in around 2011, Maine changed the laws to allow breweries to sell beer right where they make it. Okay, so prior to that, you had to brew the beer. If you wanted to give away your beer at your brewery, you had to give them a tour and then you could give beer for free. And so what happened is when the law changed and all of a sudden a brewery could sell beer, you know, feet from where they, distance wise, from where they brewed it. Not only that, but people would come in, they meet the brewer, they smell the ingredients, they see the tanks, like the tour became so much more rich and the people who came through became customers. And that changed the whole um, you know, business model of what a brewery could be. So at that point, the all-volunteer guild, which is actually around since 1996, the IRS turned it, said it was an official nonprofit. Um, cool. And so it's been around for a long time. Shout out to Gritties and Geary's and Allagash and um, and then in late sh- Shipyard, of course. Mm-hmm. And then in later years, um, Rising Tide got really involved with that tasting room law. And they realized, geez, this industry is starting to take off. A couple 
forward thinking people had been around the country and seen what had happened in Colorado and California with people visiting breweries. And they're like, we could potentially do this in Maine. We're already in vacation land. So cut into the chase, they decided to hire an executive director of the guild. And it was a part-time job, 1200 bucks a month. For, you know, big bucks, and <laughs> they needed some some sad sap that could afford twelve hundred dollars, which I couldn't. But yeah. luckily, money, maybe not beer, yeah, beer, beer. Yeah, I had another. I I had a little startup company going at the time, and um, earned a small amount from that. And then my wife was a or then girlfriend, now wife, um, ex girlfriend, now wife, right? Uh, she loves that one. Um, uh, um, you know. We had a, enough saved and everything that was able to make it work for that first year and um, and then became full-time thereafter. The way I got the job, though, was like, I mean, I found it on, I don't know, you know, main, some main jobs thing or something. Um, and I had been helped to organize and grow a nonprofit in Maine and turned it into a nonprofit called Portland Green Drinks. Okay. And so it was a monthly meetup for environmentally minded people really grew far beyond that but we were getting you know 300 500 700 people showing up each month different venue each month and initially peak organic was the sponsor of it Uh, actually at the first event the two sales reps for peak organic at the surf shop where the first portland green drinks event was were the two guys who ended up founding a few years later oxbow brewing and Peak Organic was like, oh, there's this environmental group meeting. Like, we'll donate a keg. Sure, yeah. yeah. Donate yeah. a keg. And a guy had moved from Seattle where he did the green drinks there and started in Portland. And so I was just helping out. But he moved away thereafter. Long story short, I had been hosting events every month. Once we got more people, more bre- we asked more breweries to donate beer. So got to know a few of the brewery owners mm-hmm. that were up and come to Bago. Was super generous. Um, Rising tide. We launched Main Island Trail Ale at a Portland Green Drinks event. Oh, I love Main so when Island the job, Trail Ale. Yeah, That's when the job came up, beer. I was like, guys, you've seen me put on beer events. <laughs> you know I can speak in front of a crowd. Like I've run it. I've I've grown a nonprofit, formed a nonprofit, grown a nonprofit, established a board. You know, understand what's involved with that. Uh, give me a shot at this job and so long answer that's awesome. that's yeah. it well, yeah. i was looking at your linkedin like you have a you have a ba in art history and just kind of give you <laughs> give you a background oh and i think owen were you political science yeah yeah we're yep. both political science okay. i yeah. went back and finished an accounting degree got it but uh owen and i um for a number of years actually worked for the boy scouts mm. That was actually my supervisor for a couple for, awesome. for, for that yeah. time. Yeah. Nice. I think I once threatened uh, like to give him a demerit if he brought in anything but Frosty's donuts. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the worst violation I ever committed. I, we, every, so a every, hard boss. Well, yeah. every, every Friday, we, somebody on the team would bring in donuts for Friday with coffee. And me trying to be the financial steward of the nonprofit said, I'll bring in Dunkin' Donuts because they were cheaper. Jesus. And no yep. sooner as I yep. had uttered the word Dunkin' Donuts, he said, no self-respecting man living in Brunswick <laughs> would bring Dunkin' Donuts. You will bring Frosties. I'm with Matt on this one. I'm with Matt on this one. <laughs> and it was a good decision. So after that point, anytime I was on donut duty, it was always Frosties. Noted. Well, just because, you know, it's, it's like craft beer. Sometimes you spend a little bit more and get mm-hmm. something a little bit better. Yeah. But you have, I mean, you have... You jump from that to a lot of things that involve um, working with people, yeah. employee relations, bringing people together, organizing people, yeah. which is very appropriate for a beer-related position. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, definitely. Like you know, I've said to a lot of people, like um, and um, 
you know, we were chatting a little bit earlier. Uh, I didn't come from a brewing background, you know, but yeah, all, connecting people to kind of one another to ideas has been um, something I've really enjoyed throughout my life and has come naturally to me. And um, in this job, I mean, I love beer. I mean, I love beer as much as as much as anybody else. But I, what really motivates me in this job is all the people starting up breweries mm-hmm. in small towns, like, you know, seeing a group of friends in their you know 40s and their 50s and their 60s going i'm gonna quit my job that i built my whole my career and i'm gonna open up a brewery and seeing them take that leap but then seeing them three years later when their whole town's hanging out they know everybody and they've got five employees and the family's doing okay like man what being part of that entrepreneurial uh ride along has been really fun for me and i live vicariously through a lot of our brewery well for for me the brewery culture has been cool to to your point about expanding um i come from a family of what used to what predated the brewery with the local bar my uh, my grandfather who immigrated from ireland had a small you know restaurant bar business and uh you know the, the the concept of the local which is used over in ireland and the uk you have your local yeah. bar which is right down and and you know what's involved from bars you know you still have your we have you know up for us ferns is our local sure but you have you know the local can be your brewery now mm. and each you know the running joke i think has been every town in maine seems to have a brewery of some of some description which you know 10 years ago i'm guessing when you probably first started was kind of like you probably wouldn't even have thought of the fact yeah. that every every town in the state would have a would have a would have that i i always think it's funny because people get so focused on the number of breweries in the state it's like 168 for the record but you know I, nobody's ever asked like how many coffee shops are there in me you know like I, you never see that reported in, in the media but to your point i think that's something that i've seen change so i've been doing this shop since 2013 and um Really, it is much more of a European kind of approach. Mm-hmm. The breweries have created a different kind of drinking culture in the country. Like, you know, I've got a four-year-old. I wouldn't necessarily, and again, not to differentiate, bars are an incredible partner breweries, and we wouldn't exist and be successful without them. But, you know, not every bar I take my four-year-old to, but basically every on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. But fa- they've really created family-friendly spaces, and it's not universal, mm-hmm. but... Um, the, in England or Ireland or something, you know, you go there on a Sunday with the whole family and you're spending from one to ten, not just, you know, not because the the family is alcoholics, but because <laughs> that's where the community gathers and that's where people are hanging out and kids can kind of run a little bit more free and the restaurant's not trying to turn the table. No, and, and, I, and I think, and I think to your casual. point, the brewery has kind of redefined the, the drinking culture yeah. as, you know, you know, it's more of you appreciate i mean there's 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 you know for a place like either whether it's trinken or flight deck or wherever there's a lot of care and a lot of love and a lot of research that goes into brewing a beer yeah um you know people pour their heart and souls into you know developing the beer investing in the equipment and you know that's just I, i think it's just that it's a different approach and when people come to a brewery they appreciate it a lot more because i think especially up here people appreciate what's gone into it and all that effort yeah and i think people are coming to maine because they want that authenticity they want something that they can't get anywhere else that's made by someone local Mm -hmm. they want to have a conversation i mean anytime you go to any travel you say in alaska recently like having a conversation with someone who lives there is more valuable than the tour guide from california who's (laughs) you know on the cruise ship to tell you about the history like just having a 
well, BS kind of chat with well, the locals. Well, great. well, funny story about that. So you know, it, on the cruise, I shared a, a you know, you know, they try to get you with all like the different drink packages and stuff like that. And um, I was, you know, I shared. I split a room with my um, my cousin, my my uh, my cousin, just for costs and stuff like that. And he was like, "Well, what about the drink packages?" And I said, "Well, my goal is I wanted to get off the." you know, the, the boat and support the locals. I, you know, when we got to Juno and Skagway and other places, yeah. it's like, I'd rather go to a local bar, yeah. you know, it's going to be more cost effective, but I'm going to support, all, you know, with somebody who's, who loves supporting the local breweries. I wanted to do that and sure. see what they were doing in Alaska and, and, and had some really, you know, very cool, you know, local spots. And, um, you know, you drank in a brewery called Barnaby Brewing in, in Juno and, you know, they, you know, for, for such a new brewery, they had medals around their, their, in this little landlocked bar in Juneau, Alaska. It's like, and the <laughs> owner was really cool. They had a, a, so most places will have a rescue dog. They had a rescue cat that would prowl, <laughs> yes. that prowled around the place. Um, well, just even think about that. I mean, when was the last time you went to a restaurant and you met the owner? Yeah. Like, can you ever, I, I don't most, know if I've ever had that situation, well, most but, of but breweries, you know, we were just chatting with yeah. them here, but. And a lot still. of time the owners are are there pouring the beer exactly. and, and talking and talking exactly. with you. you know, so yeah, I think that approachability has really been part of the secret sauce that's really helped mm-hmm. the industry grow. Yep, no, it's 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 blown up and, and but in a in a good way. And I know that we've got our you know you got your flagships like your main beer company, Allagash sure. and stuff like that. But you know, it seems like even during the pandemic and all that stuff, breweries are still popping up and finding yeah. and finding new stuff. I mean, you know, some- these guys at Trinken they opened up in February 2020. Oh, good. Yeah, wow. So, cheers to those guys yeah, for working their way through. My God. I think, yeah, I hit them in, like, maybe it was, like, September of that year. Yeah. I was, like, driving by, like, <laughs> all right, I need to start coming here. Yeah. And that was, like, the only bar I went to for, like, close to a year. Yeah. I'd come here every couple of weeks and just, they, you know, you can spread that outside. They have a good layout here, which allows you to do that. Yeah. The thing I like about a lot of these tap rooms is they're popping up in places where there there really isn't anything else much going on you yeah, like no kidding if you opened a restaurant at this location yeah i'm assuming it it would be very hard to make it definitely, sell. definitely. but you know they're filling this place every day yeah people are we're finding um in fact the main house tourism does like a quarterly report of all their data from tourists you know we're vacation land here and what was really exciting is for the first time ever the most recent data they have was from December 2021 to end of April 2022. So it's like, you know, still winter, That's- still kind of pandemic, <laughs> you know, this latest wave was ripping. But the number one reason people said they came to Maine and the thing they wanted to do in Maine was food and beverage stuff. Okay, not mm-hmm. that surprising. Yeah. But lobster, eating lobster <laughs> has always been the number one thing underneath <laughs> that. You know, so what specifically this year for the first or this quarter last quarter for the first time ever it was visiting craft breweries and brew pubs 44 percent of people said that was their driving reason to come to maine and what we're finding is just like you're saying people will drive literally hundreds of miles and down a dirt road to find a brewery and have that experience and it's drawing people to corners of maine that you know you've never heard of i mean there are breweries in towns i could name towns some of our breweries are in that I'm guarantee you lifelong Mainers couldn't point to on a map. Oh my God. Yeah. The one the one I want to hit and I just haven't planned it right. 
What's the one in Whitefield? What, Sheep Scott? Oh, Sheep Scott. Was, yeah, Stephen. <laughs> the Count of Whitefield. Stephen <laughs> Goral. The yep. Count of Whitefield. Yeah, I don't know, he used to have on his answering machine the local weather report every day. Uh, <laughs> he's a character. Yeah, Stephen, um, he is a great guy. He has been, you know, one of these... It's it, That's another thing, you know, I think that's so interesting about Maine's beer scene is... It was really English ale specific. You know, I don't mm. know if you guys know that history. Alan Pugsley and this this guy who came over from England and started opening up. In fact, he's working on a brewery in Maine right now, helping to start a brewery in Maine right now that will be a gluten-free brewery. And it's oh, the 100th brewery that he has helped open. Oh the 100 he has wow. opened up. I was looking at a list of them in China, in Taiwan, in the Orkney Islands, in Scotland, in France, wow. in everywhere around the world. This guy has been opening up breweries. But... He um, came from a British brewery with Ringwood Yeast, which is what founded, you know, Geary's, the first one, Gritty's, the Burton Union system. He was selling the brewing system as well. So if you go in the basement at Gritty's, you got these brick-covered yep. kettles. That's oh. that's part of the system. The Peter, it's a, excuse me, the Peter Austin system, that is part of this English ale open top fermentation. So now you see all these tanks; they're all fully covered. This is you know ale fermenting to open air. Um, and for so long, people thought of Maine beer as that British ale. Yeah. And really, Sheepscot's one of them that's still in that vein, but a lot of them broke out of it. And that's mm-hmm. part of what's been driving this next wave of growth, too. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm starting to call, like, the mid-coast area, like, the Belgian coast, because <laughs> every every brewery you go up, there's a certain point you start hitting a lot more Belgian stuff, which yeah. is great. I yeah. Mean, variety. Um if it, I love I love the English styles. I'm not so crazy about IPAs. I tolerate sure. them. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I need to have that variety. I love, you know, as, as, you know. Well, we we went to one a couple, you know, back in um, mid July on a super hot, like one of the first really hot weekends. We went to Waterman's Beach Brewery. Yeah. Guys, <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I, I know you you chatted about it with drinking beers on an earlier episode, but. How about that view? Oh my God! It was it, it's it's oh it's literally it's like it, you can't you could but I mean just you know the, the, now I think the, you know, what Waterman's was an example of was the spectrum they had something they had someone from dark to light anybody who was a beer drinker could go there and you know after doing like a flight would settle on a beer and just could just chill and people were bringing it oh take oh my so, God goodness we, we, we showed up it was just like we were just like it was like. It's like you, it, they opened that gate right at two, too. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, we got there. We thought we thought we would be the only ones there. Yeah. And within, you know, a few minutes, there was a line of people. It was just like it and was. It, it was great. Fun fact: Waterman's Beach refuses. The owners there are great, and I've been there a couple times this summer. They don't have any signs. There's no sign to because no. Yes, you can find it ways and Google yeah, Maps yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that, but. There's no sign to turn down, so it's in South Thomaston, down one of these peninsulas, yep. off of Route One. You know, you, South Thomaston. Eh, what's really there? Um, no signs. No signs on the doors. No signs on the gate. No. There's not a brewery flag. There's not a turn this way. And the owner has told me that you know occasionally someone come in pretty upset that you know there's no signs and even questioning when they drive down is this oh, a, and he comes and he goes you know you don't have any signs he's like I figured out what to do it's like. You sound like you could use a beer. Could I get you a, I get you a beer? That is so, genius. But that's just it. It's they. 
they undersell themselves and that's not a, a knock on them no. it's just that main sort of humility and you but get almost, there and they're on the open they, they, they want that wow fact they want well, you to show up and be like and the guy was at least the day we went the, was a local high school teacher chatty as all could be super nice and i went up to him i remember looking out because i mean literally the word the the the, they're pouring the beers the guy's literally looking and I looked and I said to him tough life and he yeah. just smiled he said yeah now I, I went there they had a potluck and um, so all the local people I mean I'm talking literally Susie Q they had, you they know had retiree is bringing her crock pot they had the sign for that we saw yeah, that on a I Sunday went. on a I Sunday went. oh my god it was great I mean the, the, you had the blueberry crumble what, what you could, have what like, could be oh. more main than that it was a, fantastic a, a crock our crock BYOF pot BYOF to the brewery yeah, you think Dinner. they fly under the radar but here's the fun so Charlie Pepe who wrote the original homebrewing book. It's like the Bible, the joy of homebrewing. Okay. And he, for years, was the ambassador for the Brewers Association, this national group representing all the craft brewers in the country. And um, he, every year, goes to this place, Whitehead Island in Maine, and does. he's doing another one in September. He does it two or three times each summer. He's been doing it for decades. And it's a homebrewing course where people pay a good chunk of change to go out there and they stay out on this remote main island wow there's nothing there i'm not i'm not talking like oh, there's a couple shop this is the lighthouse keeper's house <laughs> and you know a couple cabins okay it's, there's nothing there and they brew beer they drink beer they talk about beer and so he hosted a little brewer dinner at waterman's beach maybe a month ago or so and you know you never know and you're hanging out with anyway just it's so great what you can find at the end a, of a dirt road it in was Maine. and i mean each brewery brings on their own culture but that is just you know there's some sometimes you just can't be i mean that's just i mean where they landed i mean it's just like if you can't do well as a brewery with that then, yeah then you know there's <laughs> that's that joy of maine where you're like you, everybody's got their little special spot and you kind of want to tell everyone about it but at the same time you don't want it being in down east lists of you know <laughs> the secret local secrets you go to trip advisor and stuff to do in Maine and yeah. oftentimes what comes up is the main beer tour uh, the main brew bus tours yeah sure which are extremely popular and are yeah. like rated one or two on TripAdvisor. Right. so it's sometimes you know some people I think come to Portland and they kind of stop yeah and you know the to find the true gems you kind of have to do you know yeah, you have to exactly. kind of like you have to go yeah, to the fingers, is fun. Know. Yeah. But I think it fits with the average beer drinker. They want to try new beers. They want, you know, like, they want to go to new breweries. They mm -hmm. want to visit towns. It's cool that no one else has heard of the town that they're going to. I mean, yeah. it's just as much the experience in the beer. It's, yeah. it's the venture as much as yeah. the, the beer at the end. Yeah. Well, what, I mean, what got you guys into this? What's, what's your, uh, um, so I moved, I came to Maine about 10 years ago um, and kind of fell in love with all aspects of Maine, the hiking, the outdoors and stuff. And, um, you know, I initially got there because, and for the longest time, I kind of went with the crowd of the IPAs and mm -hmm, stuff sure. like that. Um, so, no, was a, you know, was a big fan of the really heavy um, IPAs, especially like when like Lone Pine started blowing up and doing mm -hmm. all there. Yeah. But then, you know, finding, and I, and I think for you know me, I'm always trying to find the next hike or the next thing to explore. And I've explored a good sense. A lot of people have jokingly said, even though I'm from, I'm from away, I've seen more of the state than a lot of locals <laughs> just because yeah. I came to Maine with the idea of, I want to see. So the brewery culture as it's evolved has given me an excuse to be like, I want to check this out. I want to mm -hmm. check this out. And uh, my friend Matt here is never down, is never uh, 
going to refuse an excuse to go drink beer. So <laughs> it, it, it works out. It works out. It works out perfectly. But, you know, just, you know, one of the we, we're, we're so one of our in our group of friends, one of our favorite places, just flight deck. I yeah, mean, just being sure. able to sit down there, watch the planes. They've done so much work to that place in they terms have. of making uh, family friendly. And they were one of the first real craft beer yeah. places in the mid coast. And they've just, you know, they went from a few things and they're really, you know, they, they just do all they just do so much and just seeing the base come alive and they were really it's part nice of to the, see them go from they were just like in the building yep. to yeah expanding. they just won best outdoor dining in maine or something oh like wow. that those yeah. little huts are yeah they are really cool and they got the pizza so to your point you know you sure. can go to flight deck for an afternoon and play a little cornhole have some pizza mom and dad can have some That'd beer be barbecue stand yeah. that comes on the weekends too mm. <laughs> rolling smoke yeah, yeah give, them, uh, give them some props but um but like i said we just you know you a bunch of us you know we just we became friends through through our work with the with the boy scouts and all that and nice. found a common interest in drinking beer and like i said the you know when we would go we, part of us we had a group chat going for the longest time whenever somebody would walk into bootleggers with the discount piles <laughs> the discount piles good and so that was like you know stuff we get would, some sam something here you know some, some stuff that you would never be willing to try just because of the fact that hey for twelve dollars for a case of beer yeah you're sure. willing to try so, so and then you know we you know everything kind of evolved and now we i mean brunswick but you've got we've got flight deck black pug uh moderation sea dog so sure. you know you can make a happy drinking culture in, in brunswick no kidding so I do have a couple questions on sure. our um, first. I mean, you do some advocacy yeah. as part of your position. Yeah. Um, what it, What have been some some issues and that you've kind of helped some breweries out with? Yeah, good question. So, you know, look, like alcohol is regulated. It should be regulated. No one's opposing that. We're not trying to raise the drunk driving limit, lower the drinking age. I think that's what people mostly assume when they hear someone <laughs> like working on the laws in beer. <laughs> Um, Bring my 13 in here, old yeah, in here. Have a beer with me. Not exactly. Um, so there's some nuanced stuff that gets really dry and boring. But um, boy, you know, um, chatting a little earlier, occasionally liquor enforcement finds laws or regulations on the books that are completely outdated. And I think any industry that grows as quickly as craft beer has um, inevitably there's a lag behind the laws and that's that's a normal part of the laws are not static you know they do change and so i'm I'm trying to think of a number of examples so first of all you know we talked a little bit earlier 2011 the tasting room law i mean that was the inflection point for main craft beer when people were when breweries were able to start selling their beer right where they made made it one of the big ones we um worked on a couple years ago is <clears throat> breweries are able to deliver their beer and sell their beer right to bars and restaurants um, when they're when they're small. If you're a small brewery, so super important. You're right. You're starting. I, I always think of the Austin Street guys because um, for so long they were fully self distributed, and you know they built relationships with local bars. Hey, I'm Jake. I'm Will. We started Austin Street Brewery. Like we're the owners. Same thing you you and I want. We want to meet the owners. Yeah, the people yeah. behind the beer. They can answer all your questions. They're most passionate about it. They're the best advocate and salesman for it. And so they built these relationships, but there was a law in the books that said once you get to 1,600 barrels of beer a year, it's about 50,000 gallons of beer, to put it in perspective. Sounds like a lot, not really that much um, beer. To put it in perspective, main beer company made about like 20,000 plus barrels. So this was 1,600 barrels. You had to sign on with the distributor and you had to have all your beer sold through 
a distributor to deliver your beer to the bars and restaurants, and it lost that personal connection. So what we saw is that a lot of breweries were keeping their um, their size at literally 1,599 barrels of beer a year. <laughs> and they wanted to grow bigger, but they didn't want to lose out. So um, we worked on a whole a whole slew of laws that related to the relationship about how you get your beer to market mm-hmm. and that allowed breweries to grow a little bit bigger and maintain those personal relationships M- most recently um you know i work a lot within the state it's the bureau of alcoholic beverages and lottery operations they um they are our regulators and it's everything from what your label has to say on the beer and mm-hmm. collaboration beers yeah. what the rules are like can you list two brewery names on a label or do you have to list only the brewery that brewed the beer you know so you think about two breweries get together well only one of them generally brews it mm-hmm. and then they can both sell it liquor enforcement has been um curious let's call it about you know exactly how trying to figure out the best way to um ensure that breweries label it so we've been dealing a lot with that and just today, I was in Augusta at a meeting talking about, um, with liquor enforcement and some others, about some laws that are likely to change around ready-to-drink cocktails. So these are these like 8% to 15% yeah. alcohol, oh, Moscow yeah. mules, gin and tonic, yeah. canned, canned cocktails. And um, not worth getting into specifics, but long story short, they're trying to expand the market for those. And so we're just having conversations about what that might look like and, you know, where the brewers stand. Well, I, I was kind of surprised. I had my first, I think it was Maine Wild Seltzer. Yeah. And Owned like, by Orono Brewing Company. I don't but, know if you know this. Yeah. And like, I was looking at the green, like, wait, there's actually vodka in it? It's not, mul- it's not a malted product? Yeah. Th- and it's like on tap and it's in cans and like... Wow, I'm surprised they a lot. And, and I think it's interesting that, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the laws lagging by. And I think so many people have found new livelihoods in, in, in breweries and stuff. So, mm. you know, it's, you know, when Maine for a long time has been known for fishing and tourism, but all of a sudden mm. you're, so, you know, I think it's great that you're kind of working to find a nice balance between yeah. keeping people safe and responsible, but also sure. supporting the livelihoods and helping. Because, you know, I, I think the brewery culture, I think whether it was intentional or just by sheer luck has woven itself into the culture of this state Definitely. more than more than a lot of you know a lot of places um you know as we were talking you know, alaska has some pretty yeah. strict um laws where i was i yeah. was and you know a lot of great you know went to check that alaska brewing company barnaby brewing companies all, all these really and doing great things but you know seeing a placard on the table and i know there's been you know um i was just reading about it to catch up the head of the Alaska Brewers Guild has been doing a lot of advocacy work to try and find, hey, let's try to find a happy medium. Yeah. I think they're working towards having, you know, the the current laws, having everything closed by eight. Like, hey, can we do sure. nine? Sure. Can we have some events and, and yeah. all that? So. so much of it's related to just the history of the state, the culture of the state and everything. And I think, you know, and, and a lot of it, too, is consumer driven. Like during the pandemic, we worked really hard to allow beer to go and... Um, you know, beer that was delivery. A big win. That was a and, big win. I mean, our breweries literally, literally would not have survived. In 10 years, I mean, would you have expected all this change to have occurred and stuff like that? I mean, it just, you know, all the, you know, coming from a, vol- I mean, driven voluntarily and then coming now, it, 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 you know, it's just amazing to hear. And, you know, when Maine believes in something strongly, the, you know, the, yeah. they, the culture is to, to fight for fight for it and to promote it. Yeah, I think... Um, 
we're, we, you know, we haven't been operating in a vacuum. And I think a lot of credit is owed to municipalities who gave breweries a chance and then saw the positive change that could happen in their community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the state government and the tourism office who said, geez, we're seeing an entirely new demo. I mean, Frank, I went to college in Maine. I'm not from Maine. When I graduated, my friends didn't want to live in Maine and they weren't coming back to visit Maine on vacation. You know, it was like, why would I go to a bed and breakfast and go see lighthouses? Like, what's what's the vibe? Yes, I can go hiking and stuff. Like, that wasn't really a core part of at least the brand that I think your average vacationer thought about yeah. Maine. Yeah, okay, there's some beaches, but it's cold, right? Um, I, I, I think these days, you know, as I was saying earlier, like, you know, food tours and beer tourism and stuff like that is such a huge part of the message of what our state can be. And then that's led into when, you know, for better or worse, when the pandemic happened and people go, where do we want to live? And it's like, boy, remember that vacation? And we visited mm. the breweries and we drove to those, that lake and that, oh my God, remember yeah. that brewery? And we went up to Lubeck and remember how cool that town was and how we really felt like we we're instantly welcome. Oh, yeah. And people go, let's just move there, you know? And so I think from a from a um, demographic shift that Maine needs literally to for economic survival, um, we can play a role in that. So it it has been positive. And I also shout out to the brewers because frankly, you know, with very few exceptions, our brewers have been great stewards in their community. Oh they, they've shut down when they're supposed to shut down. They've, you know, been responsible yeah, members they're supporting their they, they're not throwing their names on little league shirts and sponsoring the boy scouts well it's but appropriately they're no, not doing so but they know, are it, part be, of the to community. be fair when we were doing some of our big fundraisers with the boy scouts yeah. um gritties uh would donate you know you know the beer so people who came adults who came and supported us gritties could have did, long pines. Yeah. Long pines. Yeah, so sure. they, oh my god and you you go you go and you know through towns and stuff and they've got the banners advertising the local 5k or yeah. and, and you see the breweries it's on True. On there, and yeah, it's it's yeah. You really, you you really can't, you know. And, and I mean, they're they understand the craft that they're part of, so they want to care totally. for it and be responsible for it. Totally. So they're kind of imbuing that responsibility amongst you know amongst people. People are coming to breweries because you know their goal is to appreciate the beer. Yeah, <laughs> they're not. Absolutely. They're not. You know, it's just, quality over quantity. Correct. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's. <laughs> So when it comes to advocacy and talking to legislators, the, the tone has changed in Augusta as well. Most alcohol laws are at the state level, which is why guilds are so important. And um, I mean, almost entirely at the state level, it's one of the unique things that the federal government gives almost entire you know, uh, power to the states to determine how alcohol should be regulated, which is also why Alaska's laws are so <laughs> weird. Um, and when our breweries you know, when a legislator doesn't doesn't drink beer, see, you know, not really interested in beer, but they see a brewery open up, and then they're non they they need to do an election fundraiser, and that's the place to go, and they need you know and stuff. And I'm, I'm like, I don't mean to draw the direct no, line, the wrong way of putting it there, but they see that that's the place in the community that's. But for, for a lot of people, it's like they start off doing it as a hobby, and they yeah. and they and they grow to love it, and somehow they find the recipe for that beer that everyone just goes you need to share this with yeah. every with with everybody um you know i'm surprised i'm still surprised my, so my uncle on my uh, my mom's side has a i mean it's an in-house he doesn't distribute it's a family so it's a, there's a running joke uh called it, it's he calls himself bad fish brewing company <laughs> it's, it's based out of free, he's based out of his garage in freehold um but he loves 
I think it's a combination of he's retired, so it gives him something to do, and he loves that. (laughs) He's got a whole setup in his garage, but he's made some. He made an Irish red one time that I that I you know I love Smithics. Yeah, it was. I don't know what the recipe he followed, but it was like, and maybe it's just because he made it that made it so special. Yeah, well, that's part Um, of it too. uh, It was just like, oh my god, this is so, this is so, so great. That's great. Yeah. It continues to grow. In fact, I've been chatting with the Irish Heritage Center, uh, who's going to host the Irish Beer Festival. So, yeah. oh my goodness, we don't know. Yeah, we'll need, we don't know. We need to find that one. Huh? We don't know anything about no, about, was, about that. About that. I don't either. How about that. So, are there any trends that you see coming up in the future for a brewery? Are there anything you think they're going to try to branch into, or kind of do gimmicky, or do? Yeah, good question. I I do think um, you know. If, in quiet conversations with brewers i think um the ipa thing is like that in new england ipa it's been great and it's helped main build a brand around it and some of our biggest brewers have built you know have substantially contributed to a broader main craft beer brand um around that style i think it's it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse at this point where you know behind closed door, doors they're drinking pilsner you know the brewers are drinking pilsners and <laughs> lagers and things i think they a lot of them have made a shift towards um crisp crisper lighter beers and yet they they know and they see your average customer walks in the door and you still get the people who go what's the highest abv you got yeah, or you know yeah, i want yeah. the double ipa you know or, or just what ipas do you have that's all i drink and so it's kind of like you own a record shop, you know, or music shop. You're only selling mu- if you only sell music you like, you're not going to run a business. Well, and I think and I think that brings up the flag, yeah. the concept of the like every brewery talks about their flagship, yeah, flagship beer. So it allows them to kind of build a reputation on that initial sure. beer. But then, hey, I want to make sure I have something for the pilsner drinkers, something yeah. for the lager drinkers, something for the sour drinkers, and then that gives them the hey, what do you recommend? Well, our flagship is X, but what do you like to drink? And yeah. then they can cater to their... I mean, it's like a restaurant. Like, you might not be in a mood for a hamburger today, but right. they'd be kind of like most restaurants would be, you know... <laughs> right. They, they wouldn't want to have their menu without want to leave money on the table and yeah. also, you know, want to ensure that that customer has an option. So I do think we'll continue to see, you know, we've we've got some breweries opening up that are lager focused here at Trinkin, you know, opened up focused on German beers. Um, I, I think we'll continue to see breweries focus on that as well as... Um, you know, I mentioned earlier kind of the European drinking culture mm-hmm. when we um, went to England with the main beer box and were part of a festival there. A lot of main brewers did collaborations with English breweries. And what they found was British breweries were brewing a lot of like not just sub six or sub five percent beers, but sub four percent beers. Mm-hmm. And to try and create a beer with flavor that's like three point five percent, that's as big of a challenge as creating a well-balanced beer at eight percent. And so, I, I'm increasingly seeing brewers interested um, because they want to have they have people hanging out at their tasting room all day. And yes, I, the flagship will never go away, and breweries are wise to have a flagship brand. But um, Additionally, a lot of breweries have added food mm-hmm. lately as well. So things to cater to a, a group of people who want to hang, spend more time than your average kind of restaurant, 45-minute yeah, yeah. yeah, to yeah. an hour and 15 turnaround. Um, and so it's almost like creating a flagship experience, I guess, is probably uh, yep. a better way That's... of saying it. And I'm seeing more breweries think more critically about what they can do for someone who's showing up to their brewery because they realize that that experience 
lends itself because then when that person's yep. at the restaurant later in their vacation week yep. and they go, boy, we are just at Waterman's. You know what? I'm taking one of the, <laughs> you know, I'm going to get the Waterman's IPA or whatever. Well, that's is. why yeah. a lot of people, one of the big destinations in Maine is Old Orchard. I mean, mm. Old Orchard is a beach town, but people come for the experience. They sure. go on the pier, they go on the, you know, the rides and then they get pier mm-hmm. fries and, and all that. And I mean, the beach is beautiful and all that, but it's no different than any other beach in the state. It's that the old orchard beach experience. I mean, you got people from not only south of Maine, but you've got a bunch of people from Canada and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, oh, you get a big, uh, yeah, so it's almost like back. you know, you're almost creating like an amusement park type of experience. Oh, yeah. experience. You're coming from what can I do for there? We're going to do the rides, we're going to do the food, we're going to walk around and enjoy the sightseeing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, and I, I just say, you know, trend wise, too, I mean breweries what we're seeing too we've got a crowded marketplace admittedly you know shelf space and draft lines haven't grown at the same rate that breweries have grown so mm. what that i think necessitates is breweries thinking critically about what their niche is within mm-hmm. the industry so i'm i'm seeing some breweries focus a little bit more narrowly around you know what their brand yeah. represents um well, I imagine too if you're yeah. trying to get something on the shelf at re- uh different you want something that differentiates yeah yeah, yeah well absolutely. i think these guys are a, a, a trinket as a prime example sure. of that they kind of you know instead of just rushing into the i'm just going to open a brewery type of attitude which i think mm-hmm. prevails a little bit i'm just yeah. you know people love beer passionate about it i'm going to just run into this they're like Okay, this brewery is doing this, 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 and this. What's missing? Oh, there's no real German brewery, like sure. traditional German brewery. Sure. We'll open that, and then all of a sudden, you know, two years later, they've got a good crowd on a Thursday night, a Thursday, yeah. and then on the weekends, and they're, you know, they're adhering to the traditions of, you know, a different type of beer that I think people were initially used to. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see the uh, Do you see the non ABV yeah. thing going in? Yeah, the non alcoholic thing is definitely growing. So we've got. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a few examples of kind of this show. On the non-alcoholic, we have Kitna now, which was founded by one of the guys from Austin Street Brewery. Um, and Kit N.A., however you want to say it, um, brewing a number of non-alcoholic. Woodland Farms in Kittery is brewing a non-alcoholic beer as well. Um, I think we'll see more come online. The truth is, brewing non-alcoholic beer is very difficult. It is oh. scientifically challenging. What is it? You have to so, brew it, and then you have to essentially like rebrew it. Yeah, exactly. And um, so that is a shift. And, and frankly, I'm personally finding opportunities. I mean, I like beer. I'm not sober uh, in the sense of, you know, I drink beer. Um, yet I'm still finding plenty of opportunities to drink a non-alcoholic beer like when you want one more and you're at your buddy's house but you're driving home like it's the perfect yeah, thing absolutely. to crack when you yeah, want you or you get home late or whatever and you're like i'm not i'm not really gonna drink a beer right now i've you know or, or yeah or you've got that you somehow you know certain beers you just get the taste for you get a taste mm-hmm. for a pilsner you get a taste for mm. a Kolsch and stuff like that you you know you're not necessarily looking for the alcohol promote you just want mm-hmm. that kind of yeah. you know it's like a piece of chocolate cake after you want you want a little something you want a something you, you want to nurse something during the game because you just feel and, like you know. and if you get that i think if you just get that i'm in the mood for a Kolsch. i'm in the mood for yeah. and i and i've had guinness zero sure and it's you know for what it is it's very very close to the real yeah. thing and i'm you know I, if, if you wanted to give me a number one beer i drink for the rest of my life yeah guinness would be <laughs> sure, okay but you know okay I'm... owen mcguire <laughs> right. this this podcast is sponsored by the irish tourism agency <laughs> irish heritage center 
proud, proud of, proud, yeah. proud of, proud of that. Yeah. Um, but if I wasn't as religious of a Guinness drinker, like I didn't fully like, I can go. I've I've been to bars and I've sent it back because I'm like, this is a this isn't right. Yeah. If I wasn't such like a purveyor of Guinness, yeah. And I you gave me, and I had a vague understanding of what the flavor was. I taste and be like, oh, this is Guinness. Sure. And I wouldn't know it was. There's there's like a little bit of. Uh, artificialness to yeah. it that have that, that, like that little sticky sweet that little sticky mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. And so but for what it is it's absolutely incredible and i yeah. and i and i'll be honest i do have a four pack of it in my refrigerator because yeah, sometimes sure. sometimes i just want two guinnesses but not i don't want to wake up that and i yeah. not that two guinnesses would ever no, i get but, it i get but it. just i got some uh not to me it's not a main but it's a new england i get some sam just a haze and it does work out with the with the ipa pretty well because i mean you have that kind of difference of the flavor it kind of sure. covers up the funkiness that you would get yeah well i'll give you two more examples so we have lucky pigeon brewing that opened up which is a gluten-free brewery we have another one that's in in the works that's going to be announced pretty soon if they haven't already publicly um so i think that's another category too and then um i'd also mention another one which most people hadn't heard of um you're from Brunswick. There's yep. an Indian restaurant there, uh, and oh. you know the the sons of the owners there have started Rupee Beer. Rupee. Yep. Oh, and so, you know, their whole they are basically focused on selling their lager, which is kind of modeled after what you get if you go to an Indian restaurant, like a Lion. Or I'm, I'm blanking King, on the name. Singa, you know, Kingfisher. Kingfisher. Thank oh, yeah. you. That's the yeah, one I was yeah, looking yeah. for. And, but you know, they realize that there's an opportunity for a craft beer on the talk, menu and talk, people are coming talk, in there talk about the right i mean whatever yeah. reason the the kingfishers the um the tigers this the in they they have curtailed their beer to the food i mean there is nothing right. better than having like a nice butter chicken with with a glass of kingfisher mm. and yeah. they really understand that whole match it's, yeah. it's like, and, well. and then lastly on the trend thing i'd say you know i'm also seeing breweries who are doing ipas and you know they're doing the normal kind of um suite of beers but um, they're becoming B Corps or they're super focused on diversity issues or they're super mm-hmm. focused on, you know, sustainability issues and seeing breweries, um, you know, align with cultural kind of movements is another thing. And that's not unique to beer, but mm-hmm. I think everybody's been trying to kind of please everybody and we're seeing that differentiation okay. accelerate. When you're local enough, though, I mean, it does give them a little more flexibility. Sure. And they're not so big that they have to go through all these channels like, oh, uh, if I want to support this, I'm going to support this. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. And, so, and so, the other thing, too, is breweries are making seltzers. You know, they're seeing that market take off and like, okay, well, if that's what people are wanting, if you get so many people that go, I would have, I would have, hey, I was going to go to your brewery the other night, but, you know, my buddy only drinks seltzers. Well, okay, you know what? We're going to cater it. to that and, and finding those opportunities to cater to the people who walk through their door. We're, we're not shy about taking uh, people coming from out of state's money. We're, they, we're, we're, we're certainly not shy. As we shouldn't be. Should we refill, guys? Should we, uh... Yeah. yeah, no we'll, pressure. We'll, we'll come back with some hiking uh, updates and some brews in the news. Perfect. And we're back, and Sean has agreed to hang out with us. Of course, you know we're having beer, so why not? Why not? It's beer, it's beer o'clock something somewhere. Well, we had our summer vacations. Yes, and Owen had a heck of a vacation. Yeah. So um, I, you know, after all the COVID and some family stuff, we uh, twenty. They allowed somehow they allowed twenty five of my extended family on a cruise ship for an extended <laughs> period of time. 
Um, so we took a, a really awesome cruise out of Seattle with the Ovation of the Seas was the name of the cruise ship. First time um, in my, you know, kind of from a lot of my family that we had done a cruise. So it was a bit overwhelming, um, but we did a cruise to Alaska. And I think like a lot of people, Alaska is like on everyone's bucket list. They want to go see because it's just got this lore about it. And so we did it, um, had a great time, um, but got to experience uh, two towns, Juneau and Skagway. Unfortunately, you know, given the culture of the, uh, the weather culture of the Pacific Northwest, uh, Juneau was a bit of a bust. It was probably the rainiest I've ever been in my life. Um, but fortunately we got to try out um, Alaska Brewing Company, which is based in Juneau, which is really cool. Um, for whatever reason, there. Uh, I drank a lot of amber on that trip. Mm. Not sure why, but Alaska's amber was mm. really good. And we actually found, you know, uh, funny enough talking about, so my last name is Maguire, M-A-G-U-I-R-E. We found, we were walking around trying to figure out what to do in Juneau, visited the state capitol. We were trying to figure out what else to do. And we're walking along the main drag of Juneau, rain just pouring down us. All of a sudden we see a bar, T.K. Maguire's. Bingo. <laughs> Didn't get confirmation whether it was a long lost relative that got into a fight <laughs> with the family and decided to move as far away from everybody as possible, but um, had some beers and it had a, had a really uh, funny uh, server from, uh, we had an Uber, an upper, a person Ooh. from the Upper Peninsula who, uh, who seemed to have wanted to get as far away from their extended family as humanly possible, so wound up in Juneau. Um, and then we, uh, so in Juneau, in addition to that was uh, Barnaby Brewing Company. Um, forget the owner's name. Really cool, just local place. Um, they had a few beers that they had kind of were showing off that had medals around them, winning some national contests. Had a, had a, had a, had a sampler there. Um, but it was really interesting to discover a little bit about the beer culture of Alaska, which is very different than the beer yeah. culture in Maine. Um, and you'd think with two states that have kind of a common love for the outdoors and preserving our heritage, we'd have similar beer cultures. Not the case. No. Um, Alaska's beer, uh, brewery laws are a little strict. Um, you can only be open till 8 p.m., allowed 36 ounces of beer per day, um, and uh, no live music. I've since read. No TVs. No TVs. Um, oh my goodness. So, no bar stools. <laughs> no bar stools. But high chairs are considered <laughs> higher. High chairs are considered acceptable because what we clearly sat on in one of the breweries was not a bar stool, but it wasn't a chair. So I'm going to call it a high chair. Um, but there's a lot of work being done by the Alaska Brewers Guild yeah. to get to like what you guys do to affect some change in that. But um, uh, what are you supposed to do in the summer when it like stays light until midnight? So, well, the same thing in the winter time. When they do have Midnight Sun Brewing Company in Anchorage oh. noted that makes some barrel aged beers that are pretty pretty good. Um, and then we uh, after Juno, we had a really nice day in Skagway. Did some biking around, visited this old mining mining um, community. It's no longer there, but they basically have preserved the outline of the like what the main and it's literally like a small town in Maine. Um, called Daiya, D-Y-E-A. And so we kind of went out there, explored there, did a really nice hike um, on the local trail system. And then um, kind of the highlight was Skagway Brewing Company, which was really cool. They had some, uh, they had one beer that they only make at their brewery. So to kind of bring people, cool. um, it's a, I think it's, if I remember, it's a Blondale, but it was really good. It's got a little bit of like a spruciness <laughs> to it. So bringing off on the, 
on the culture. Um, but you know, just, you know, really cool, really great people and got to, uh, just, uh, unfortunately we did stop in Victoria, British Columbia. I didn't get any breweries because of how short the stopover was. Um, and a lot of the breweries were not very close by where we were at port. So it would have been a challenge to get to, but, uh, highly, highly recommended. Alaska, like for many has been on my, my bucket list, but got to experience the, the beauty and the, uh, the, and the beer culture. And even though it was only three breweries, the all the beers we had were, were great. So shout out to Alaska, Barnaby, and uh, Skagway. Any good hikes? Uh, we did one called the Dewey Lakes Trails. So it's similar to like what we have. And it made me appreciate more what we have in Maine because it was very much reminiscent of Tumble Down with the lake at the top. Mm. Uh, but really kind of very quaint, very kind of, you know, you go from, and I mean, Skagway's a small town. I mean, it's 830 people. So you bring a cruise ship of 4,000 people like we had. And there wasn't just one cruise ship. There was three that were docked. So all of a sudden, this small town of 830 people swells to like 12,000. But you, you know, and so there's a really bustling downtown. And you go on this trail system up into this lake area. And it's like, oh, we are in Alaska after all. Mm. So that was kind of the really the only hike we did there. Most notable, I, I haven't taken anything really exciting for a hike, but... I was at uh, Reed State Park last week, and for those of you who don't know um, Reed State Park, it's it's basically if you go up to Woolwich past Bath and you drive maybe a half hour down um, to through Arusik and then into Georgetown, you get a beautiful state park. There's a couple state parks right in this area. That is one of them. Uh, Popham is another one. Wolf's Neck. Wolf's Neck. Um, some really good beaches. And... Uh, Reed State Park is like, it's divided in two parts. You can go left or right. Most people go left. There's a main beachhead, a main rock, and then there's another another place. And it has like a mile-long beach. So we went, I think, about a week and a half ago, my sons and I. And we came up to the uh, the gatehouse, and we see all these, you know, shark, shark warnings. What to do in the case of a shark? I'm like, what the? What, what's going on here? And, uh, you know, we just go about our business. And... Uh, we get home, and I get a nice two and a half mile hike in it. Um, get home, and my son's playing me these videos of sharks just beyond the surf. Like we were there like a week and a half before that, and we were drifting out to the surf line to you know to quote unquote fight the waves just because hey yeah. let's and and there's these videos on lo- local media. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like another maybe maybe another 20 feet 15 20 feet beyond it you see like great white fins going on and and the video that was taken was like a day or two after we were swimming there and I actually I sent it to my my buddy in New Jersey and he's like oh that looks fake but nope dude that that's actually real the great white <laughs> thing in Maine has been definitely oh. real this year and yeah Reset Park that's a special place that's a really special place to me personally and I know you mentioned you were Five Islands recently too. Another of that. Oh yeah. I, if, if people want Maine in a in a like a caricature of like what you imagine when you go to Maine, a creaky dock and lobsters being pulled out of cold, the oh. cold Atlantic <laughs> with a view of open ocean and island rugged islands and lobster oh, boats cruising goodness, yeah. through. I mean that is Five Islands right there. If somebody and, put like a little beer hut there, oh my 
guess. Yeah, I would never I leave it. Well, if you but the benefit <laughs> is, is, hey, sh- let's be quiet because it's BYOB, and yeah. that's, the, that's oh. the only way I can afford to make my way to a lobster shack in Maine these days is by bringing my own four pack for $14 instead of a 20 ounce for 13 bucks at the restaurant. So let's just keep it quiet over here with the beer shack. There is a little, for the record, if you're visiting, there is a little farm stand that sells mm. a small amount of beer there. But um, yeah, Reed State Park is... Uh, is beautiful. Maybe, and, maybe the sharks yeah. are just coming for the beer. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you gave a shark a sip, would he want another? I mean, it may be coming for track. I mean, you haven't. The reason why they're here is because there's more seals. Yeah. yeah. And you know, obviously, tourists would like to see uh, seals, and I, it's kind of funny now. Like, oh, look at all those seals there. I'm like, oh, sharks are just behind them. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm a. I'm a year-round surfer in Maine, and and you have to make a decision at some point as a surfer, like. I'm either going to go out or I'm not going to go out. And if I'm going to go out, I can't spend the whole time worrying about this. So you just have to decide you're not going to focus on it. But I will admit that there's been a little bit of trepidation this year just because it's been, I mean, the woman who was killed last year in Harpswell, attacked by a shark, and then um, another one, I think it was Massachusetts or somewhere else. But yeah, seeing the reports around Maine and everything, it is interesting. We do have a lot of seals. Bit of a challenge when the key piece of equipment for your hobby is makes you look like a yeah. Makes you look like a seal. Looks like, like, look a bit like a seal. A seal burrito. Yeah, don't you know? go to Reed. There's never any good waves there. So <laughs> don't, definitely don't don't bother. Yeah. We're gonna do a little uh, bruise in the news, and yeah. just, I'm just gonna pull out a few stories and see what if we have any thoughts. So we're talking a little bit earlier about um, high and low ABVs. Uh, I get this one story from the Washington Post. I won't go through everything in it, but um, it seems to be there's a, a, a wider deviation now. There seems to be a trend to either have really high ABV, uh, ABV veers or low or none. And I kind of found the, the opening quote was kind of funny. Uh, are you seeing, John, more po- like popularity-wise, are the higher octane beers still really popular? Are people kind of, you know, tending to like the lowers and all over the? I place? think people are tending to the lowers. That's that's my personal opinion, I guess. But um, there's always going to be the crowd that wants yeah, the high octane stuff, and it's like there are, I'll say, guys, but you know, there are people who love shots at the bar and like. Everybody's got one buddy, you know. Going on, this guy here, you know, he's gonna do this, you know. The vast majority of people probably not that direction. I think we're kind of heading towards there. I'm not a much of a shot drinker, but I did have to imbibe in Alaska's state shot, which is called the duck fart. Go on. And it's uh, it's a mixture, a layered mixture of Kahlua's, Bailey's, and Crown Royal. And it literally, if you can imagine the color combination as you rise, it does look like something that would come out of a duck. Okay, got it, got uh, it. Tastes way better than it sounds. Doesn't sound as good as fat ass in a glass, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, the main version. It's 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 uh, it's really good. And I'm not a huge Crown Royal fan, but you know, mixing the Kahlua and Bailey's, kind of nice. Oh, nice. Crown by itself is yeah yeah. I want to hear the opening quote here. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's like. They had this one gentleman. If I'm gonna drop down twelve dollars for a six pack, I want to make sure the alcohol content is at least six percent. That way, I can drink one or two and be satisfied, and still have a couple beers left for later. Now, is this person definitely from the below the Mason Dixon line? Actually, this, that just oh, <laughs> actually, I, you know what? I I screwed up the accent. I should have done my Brooklyn accent. Uh, this guy is from Brooklyn. There you go. And they're a college counselor. 
Okay, well, there you go. You got to know I, your audience. I think, God, I God definitely, the, but the inflation thing is that's playing into, you know, people's desire and it's kind of bang for your buck. And I definitely do know those people like, I only want one. And if I'm going to have it, I want it to be 7% or more. Well, God bless college counselors because if any, if, you're, if you were a neurotic teenager like me and stuff like that, God bless the patience of the college counselors. Well, I, did, I had a little, uh, especially if when you, when you're paying full, full board, room and board for sitting at home on Zoom. I did have a little health episode last year, and yeah. my, my um, fluid intake was limited. Mm. Um, and so the first couple of weeks when I was really following the plan strictly, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll have a Lafindamon, which is 9%. <laughs> because I can only have so much in the day, and I, you know, you set my see, little as beer. As you can see, Matt's Pay a great... buck. As, as Matt is, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he, he's a, he capitalizes on, yeah. on, on, on his uh, intake. Spoken like an accountant. You know, I mean, he did the math, and he realized, I, okay, I can only have four ounces of alcohol. Well, I'm doing 9%. But that, and, uh, you know, that beer I nursed for a long time. Sure, it wasn't, yeah. I wasn't getting danked on. Boy, you know, yeah. But I was just milking it, you know. Yeah, fair enough. So this is an interesting story. 400-year Ecuadorian beer uh, rescued by, um, sorry, resurrected from yeast. Mm. So we have this this gentleman um, who found like a a strain and uh, 400 years old in Ecuador and actually took it and made the beer from it. Yeah, I I think people don't give enough credit to yeast generally and I've, we actually did a couple events a few years ago. Foundation Brewing brewed one batch of beer, and then they fermented it on, like, four different yeasts. And the difference – so you have the exact same recipe, just different yeast fermentation. And the difference in flavor of those beers was so like dramatic. like a time capsule. Yeah. A flavor time capsule. I mean, how cool is it when you've got it's an old, beer. you know, an old uh, <laughs> yeast that you're pulling out of something that you can oh. taste – what, because I think yeast does create much more flavor than your average. People want to talk about hops, and yeah. malt is is a huge amount of the flavor profile of beer. Not that hops aren't, but you know, yeast and malt. People don't really talk. No one, no bre- even breweries don't necessarily say what yeast it's been fermented with. Yeah. So. And they cool. actually they were able to research where it came from. It was first brewed in um, 1566 by a monk. Or not a, uh, either a monk or yeah a monk. Well, yeah, I mean the whole the whole you could do a whole episode on yeast stuff, you know, and like even like the open top saisons and stuff like that. I mean, it's like wild fermentation. There's yeast everywhere in the well, air. Without, I mean, without yeast, we wouldn't have beer. That's yeah. the, oh, it's, yeah. the, it's the catalyst. It would just what? be bread drink. One know? really interesting thing to mention is in Maine, we actually have somebody who runs a professional yeast lab and just opened up. Um, their brewery um so there's a guy his name's justin amaral and justin um just opened up with a couple other people um a brewery called side reel farm brewery with another guy davy d'angelo and, and some of his family so long time organic farm and justin um is a basically i, I guess i call him a microbiologist mm-hmm. and he uh has isolated different yeast strains and then brewed particularly sour yeast strains to, you know, sour beer can be infected and change the flavor profile very easily and you have to really control it. Brewers joke that they're yeast janitors um, because, you know, if you if you start to build a house yeast strain, then you need to cultivate it. David Geary tells 
disgusting stories of back in the day of like cultivating yeast strains in an unused toilet at their, at their brewery before it was like it was the right temperature you, it was you, water it worked the, nobody used it i had a sign on the door and well you had the this guy is, from, this is in the 80s well, so you had the guy from rogue who had a yeast strain in his beard that's right yeah his, so there's been spaceships that have collected what, air that one, have had one, yeast one, in one thing that gives me confidence about yeast coming from interesting spots is through the process, I mean, given the fact that history has shown that, you know, they drank weak beer back in the day because it helped purify the water, that does give me some confidence that yeast knows what it's doing in terms of killing, killing out anything that might... Now, can uh, you recreate it like DNA? <coughs> like, if you find, you know, you find like some obviously dried up residue on like a bottle yes. George Washington had. Dog, no, yeah. dogfish did this from Egypt. Egyptian... Um, ceramics that were found like vases in literally egyptian tombs and they scraped it identified the you know dna of it and created a yeast strain of it they called it um google it dogfish head yeast egypt and you'll find it but yeah so this has like jurassic park stuff okay sorry to bring it back to me not to not to take a tangent but this is uh interesting and i I, maybe i'll think of the guy's name if you go, well, I don't know if it's still there, but $3 Dewey's in downtown mm-hmm. Portland, famous bar, one of the original kind of, we've got a bunch of taps because we're selling interesting <laughs> beers yep. here. One, the guy who founded it, when when he died, the New York, one of the guys who was part of the founding, <laughs> when he died, the New York Times did an obituary on him. And if you know anything about wow. New York Times obituary, that's a big deal. Yeah. He, in, in that obituary, he was known as the Indiana Jones of beer. And he... Part of his entire <laughs> career was going around the world finding, almost like, you know, in, in marijuana they call it land land race. You know, like mm. a, a a specific style of marijuana that's grown in that area over thousands of years or however many years, and that's like the the terroir of it. Similarly, he had gone around and found these ancient yeast strains and found these ancient beer styles, and then helped to replicate them. Oh so there's a plaque to him. In three dollar Dewey's to recognize his his part in this whole uh, process. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. Wow. <laughs> One of the things that I kind of like picked out of the story is that actually the yeast is related to chica. I don't know. If oh, I is that the chico yeast? Yeah, that's... which um, the chica. Oh yeast, no, different. Well, okay, chica is a fermented corn drink by the indigenous people of the Americas before Spanish. Coffee. Interesting. Okay. So that you have that connection to pre, you know, Colombian, you know, America. Yeah. And having, you know, who knows how many hundreds or thousands of years of stuff was mm. being used. And... I, I could see a future with that in craft beer in the sense that there's such a drive these days for, um, like, diversity, equity, inclusive um, initiatives. And, you know, let's put politics aside for a second. Like, there's only so many uh, white bearded dudes that can <laughs> can support an industry and mm-hmm. you know craft brewers like i don't care what your politics are you need to provide an opportunity all, for more people the, to find entry all, points all the ingredients are there for everybody equally and it's just yeah. a matter of what your passion is and what your sure. and this experience and it's just you know a lot of the brewers will talk about the number of iterations they've gone into until they found that right balance of of everything so it's you know it's it's you know it's it's an experiment and everybody is welcome to join in and we all benefit from it right we all benefit absolutely next story uh we only got a couple left 
This one, I'm, I'm more just kind of interested in the headline and getting thoughts. Um, refers to the archaic era of the beer growler. I have so, so many thoughts. So, <laughs> is, it, is the beer growler going the way of the dinosaur, or? My, well, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. My thing with growlers is, I don't know how, it, it seems like you, if you want to go and buy like a growler of beer, they're very insistent on that you have to buy their specific growler versus I'd love to see something whether it's through you know um what is it main beer trail or what is main it beer trail. main beer trail or some or the, through the brewers guild where you paid for like I don't know if like a subscription is the right word but you got a growler that was kind of like you go in and a brewery would accept it as a way of whereas you know <clears throat> going in, it's like and I don't want to not support you know, if they've got a four pack, great, but I know a lot of breweries can't afford the equipment to make or to do cans. Um, but I would just love the ability to have something where I could have it in my car to bring it in and said, Hey, I've got, I've, I've got a main brewer's guild endorsed yeah. growler and it, whether they give you a few bucks off or not, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. I'd want to support them. So I guess you got, I get ask, is it, is it government? <laughs> yes and government. no. <laughs> yes and no. So we get, I, I probably get. It slowed down, but probably still <laughs> one to three emails a month um, in our kind of general inquiry inbox about like why can't we have a growler that is available at all the breweries. Main. So um, the the honest truth is that your average main brewer doesn't want to see that, and, and okay. it's it's not. I think what people think is because brewers make <clears throat> make a bunch of money on growlers and they want to sell the glass. I would say all breweries lose money on growlers in the sense of the like five dollar deposit, the thing, and I can't send it back. The, the legislation has come up over the years, and I'll be honest to say the guild has opposed legisla- legislation to do that, and I know that that puts us at odds with your average consumer. I definitely I, look, guys. I've got I'm 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 you. <laughs> I've got in does, my basement a rack com- of does, things. Does with your like, wife complain about yeah, how many like growlers, fifteen growlers? You know, like just get rid of them if you're not using them. Just get but, rid. And but, it's and it, but but you know the other thing I think possibly because you know you buy the growler, they fill it up, you go in, two days later you have a beer, it's good. Mm-hmm. Four days later, yeah, not so that's really not, what it not, comes not, down. Not as, it's not more as, of a. I have a couple. But it's it's not something I'm looking because I know for that reason. I mean, if I really want the beer, I'm going to get the cans. I can argue or, either side of this passionately. So on on the four side, I would say, look, beer is meant to be shared. You want to share beer with your friends. It's it's cost effective. Inflation. We're all dealing with it. Maybe there'll be a resurgence here. You know, fill up a growler. You bring it to your friend's house. Your friends are coming from the weekend. You pour it. When you start to get into the fill anything. One, that a lot of consumers will show up with one. They haven't cleaned since the last one. They're expecting the brewers to do it. So that's just a staffing cost. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I got deal. the two-gallon growler. Yeah. Not a big deal Very in fair. itself. But let's say, you know, more often than not, when you get a growler, you're sharing the beer, right? Because the truth is you're not going to bring drink 64 ounces of beer in a night. We hope yeah. not. And so you, you get it. You're sharing it with someone. If you fill up a drinking growler with a subpar beer... And then you bring it to the party, you bring it to your friend's house, you leave it in the fridge, and they try it, and they go, 
Yeah. And it's two days old, and they go, oh, it's oxidized. I'm it not, tastes bad. You go, I'm never going to trink in brewing. That brewery is, that is that is a, That is a very so valid it's point. Kind of the the example valid. I said in the legislature is, would you walk into Papa John's with a Domino's box and go, would you mind throwing it in this? <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Right? It's laughable. It's crazy. That, but so that's trying to rash, find that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a rational But if, you know, if Yeti or Clean Canteen can make these like vacuum sealed, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's a bit of i will say and the other thing is and then you know in some states they have convenience stores fill up growlers and really then, interesting. so i think you know there's something there but other breweries don't want to fill up growlers even if somebody <laughs> brings in a growler and, and somebody you know looks at it looks clean you know you know, part of i know my uncle talking to me about brewing is the you know a lot, not, you know, sixty percent of his time is spent on cleaning stuff. The, yeah. the brewing, yeah. the 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 buckets he brews in, the bottles, all the equipment. I mean, it's just so it, he, is, yeah. it is a pro, the, the majority of the time is just sterilizing everything well, to to get that a clean environment. You nailed it. That that's what you know. I heard a brewer say to me one time. He's like, you know, what is the difference between clean and sanitized is not visible. Yeah, and so. The average person doesn't have sanitization, whatever equipment, versus you know what a brewery does with their equipment. I mean, if you have a, if you brew a sour beer and then you're brewing something else, you literally can't have a microbe of that lactobacillus or whatever yeah. it is that you're using to sour the beer in your hose, on a clamp, in your tank, you know, anywhere in a can in a bottle. So. The risk of infection is so high, and that's yeah. the that's the true hard work of brewing beer is ensuring everything is perfectly clean. No, well, and if you've been a home brewer, you know. That. Yeah, yeah, well, and then that's and then to think about it from that point as you know, if I if I really want a beer from a brewery, I think going forward, I just you know what, pay a little extra, support the local business, and worst case scenario, I recycle the growler in the next adventure I go on. If I really like the beer, you know what, I should be willing to pay a couple extra bucks, get that growler. And share and, and and share it. Give the everybody the full experience, and then just be like, you know what? It's just it's just a cost to do in business, mm-hmm. and it happens. So, yeah. and uh, last story, I have it on the Facebook page. I won't go into it, but six main summer hikes where you you can go for a swim. We are kind of a hiking show. Yeah, absolutely. Do you I, have a favorite hike in Maine? What? So I I don't know if you guys know this, <laughs> but um, there's a TV show, T- Cheers from Maine, and it's on. Um, Sundays at 10.30, I think, on um, Channel 6, so whatever you're... Um, I'm trying to think of what affiliation that is, but... Okay. Um, NB- the local NBC affiliate. NBC, yeah. yeah. Yep. So it's all statewide, and um, whatever your local NBC affiliate is, and um, so it's visiting breweries and distilleries and stuff like that. And so my segment in it is Beer And, and it's Beer And, an outdoor adventure. And so we should have started with this, but... Um, I have been going around the state finding different outdoor adventures that I can do. I will say Morse Mountain, which I think you guys are yes, familiar with, and Phippsburg is a good little simple one. I'm I am a um, I'm listed a, the third one on the list. There you go. Ding ding. Yep. Um, I'm a I'm a runner. I'm a surfer. I'm not much of a like summit the mountain person, yeah. if I'm being totally honest. But um, there are lots of places around Maine. Jockey's Cap, which is right across from Saco River Brewing Company is a a bring your toddler level hike but the beauty of it is it's a bald 
um, face top, and you can see 360 degrees of okay. it's in. So we're talking uh, Brownfield, Maine, next to or Freiburg, Maine. Yep. Um, you know, next to North Conway, you're yep. right on the edge of the White Mountains. There, you know, White Mountains actually go into New Hampshire or to Maine a little bit. Um, you can see just a beautiful view there. I've hiked Tumble Down yep. as well. Another beautiful hike. Number one on the list. There you go. Um, it's a little late near the I've top. Sw- I've swum in that lake many times. Yeah, but I love, I love the uh, the thought there. A swim plus hike, especially near the top. You've made it to the top. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious on you uh, talked about it last episode. There is a little hill near. Reed State Park that I didn't know about yeah, that you can so, see Reed from. I'm interested. Yeah, so so it's a little bit. You kind of have to Google it to kind of know exactly where it is. It's called Higgins. It's called Higgins oh. Mountain. It's a hill. Yep. I great. Mean, you know, you, you, you got to give credit. You got to kind of call yep. it what it is. You literally are driving down. Um, what is the route down through a route? Say it's a 125. And literally about halfway between Route One and Reed State Park. There's kind of a little side trail. There's a little kiosk, and it's literally a one-mile loop that cool. kind of pokes its head above, huh. kind of almost like the Cliffs Trail down a Harpswell. Poke. That is my favorite hike in Maine, it, the Cliffs Trail on Harpswell. It, it pokes its head up, and you kind of have this, you know. Maybe, my favorite drive is driving onto Oars. Yes. When I first got my you, truck, I'm like, when you go up that hill, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> See the view. I, yeah, absolutely. I was chatting with a family here who had showed up from New York, and I was like, oh, wait, you know, wait, yeah, from New York. You always come to Maine. Yep, we always come to Maine. Where do you go? Harpswell, Bailey's. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're in Popham, uh, Phippsburg this time. And, and if you, and if you want a really special place and want to do Waterman's Brewing in the same day, we did Lavernia Preserve. I don't know about this. It's, Tell me. It's oh my god. So I spent a lot of time in that area actually. Yeah, so Lavernia in, Preserve in South Bristol, right, like probably cool. a few miles before the Pemaquid Point Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. There's a preserve that was a combination of a land trust and a personal family donation and it's mm. basically like a mini version of the of the of the uh, cutler trail in bold coast bold coast trail mm. and that's it's like another a, awesome hike. it's yeah. a four mile hike and it's literally you go out hike for about a mile anybody of any age and ability can do it thank you again for joining us for this week's episode As always, don't forget to look for future episodes on Anchor, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And remember to check out the Maine Hike and Brew Crew Podcast Facebook page. We hope to see you along the trail soon, and cheers. Well, hello, this is Matt from the Maine Hike and Brew Crew. And uh, this is kind of a special episode. This is going to be uh, more of a rough cut. This is Notes from the Road. Um, a very special episode. Uh, I am taking a little trip to Quebec. Um, I'm actually uh, taking a four-day adventure. I'm going to Quebec City tonight. And uh, I'm going to be actually staying in a hostel. I'm going to be staying there on the cheap. Um, seeing if I can stay in the city, um, have a decent time, and uh, but not not spend uh, not spend uh, city hotel money. Um, so that's going to be quite the adventure. Tomorrow night I will be in Riviere de Loup, which is about two hours up along the St. Lawrence. If you take the east south side of the St. Lawrence from Quebec City and you head northeast. On that side, um, that will bring you to Riviere de Loup. 
And then on the third day, I'm actually going to go to Osborne. Uh, Owen and I have a friend uh, whose family has a camp uh, in Osborne on uh, Spectacle Pond. So I'm going to spend a night there. Uh, so it's going to be quite the little road trip. I am in the truck. I'm in the Ford Ranger. And I'm definitely uh, looking to get a couple new stickers from breweries on this trip. And also just looking forward to the trip itself. And I will be doing some hiking. Uh, I am trying to do uh, burn some calories and shed a few pounds before the, uh, before the snow falls. And there are some great opportunities to hike some trails up there and also just walk around Quebec City. And uh, for any of you who have never made the trip up Route 201 past Skowhegan, um, this is what I'm about to do now. Uh, I just uh, went, back, went past the last flight. I think I'm either still in Skowhegan or in Madison at this point. Um, but you get some great, you start to get some great views for, uh, pretty soon. As, uh, as we cross the Appalachian Trail. And if, yeah, if you've never taken this trip, even if you don't want to, even if you don't cross the border and, and go into Canada, there's lots of great stuff up here. Uh, there's Moxie Falls, Moxie Ponds, uh, there's the Kennebec. There's a lot of people that will come and do rafting along the Kennebec. Um, there's several outfits that do that. And um, just a beautiful place. What? My favorite stretch is when you when you get past uh, Bingham and Moscow and you start rolling into Caraton. That stretch um, through the forks is pretty darn pretty. I mean, and even when you get past the forks and you start kind of going more over mountainous terrain yourself, not just looking at the mountains. Um, also, also very gorgeous. And uh, at some point, I'll. I'll be, uh, I'll probably take a nice little stop on, um, there's an outlook before you get to Jackman itself, and that overlooks Addian Pond. This is, it's just one of the most beautiful drives that you can, you can ever take is, is taking this road. It is, it is pretty gorgeous. Um, so I'm looking forward to it, and uh, also part of the 201 route. Uh, includes part of what's known as the Arnold Trail. And the Arnold Trail was basically um, the Arnold March to Quebec in 1775 when Benedict Arnold, um, when he was still a good guy, I guess, <laughs> before he, before he uh, turned and, and joined the British. And there's some discussion on whether or not, you know, maybe... Was he how much of a traitor he was for doing what he did? Um, but before all that controversy happened, um, he was tasked with taking a band of um, taking a band of Revolutionary War soldiers up to Quebec very early in the war and trying to take Quebec City and trying to take Quebec City before a lot of British Army reinforcements came over to the colonies, and you know there's some there's some speculation. Hey, if if Arnold had succeeded in taking the city, you know, would more parts of Canada um, now be part of the United States? 
that may not necessarily be true. A big reason why they made that march and tried to take the city was to try to take it before the, the British, you know, more of the British regulars got here and, uh, and try to put Great Britain in a position where they'd have to give up the war early. Um, it, it didn't work out. Um, almost anything, I, I won't do a complete uh, lecture on, on Arnold's march, but they, they, uh, it's, there's almost a Don Fenler uh, aspect to it. Don Fenler, if you don't know, is the, is the young boy in the, in the 1930s who uh, got lost on Katahdin and somehow survived and uh, wrote a book about it and became almost a folk legend in, in Maine. And I actually had the privilege of getting them to meet him before he died. And one of the things he said throughout his whole life as, as he built up a huge fan base over generations of people that read his book is I did everything wrong. Um, the only, but his will to survive, um, is what kept him alive. And I almost think, uh, I, I kind of think of the Arnold March as the same thing. They had tons of things go wrong. Um, but they still made it to uh, Quebec City in the in the in the winter, and they were crazy enough to try to make an attack on Quebec City. Um, so you get to see a portion of that route here. Um, for for Benedict Arnold, they he had he was given bad maps, so this route that he was taking was actually a lot longer than he thought it was going to be. Um, and they had other issues with the you know with with the bateau boats that they had bought and like half the company leaving and, and all kinds of stuff. But this, this way before modern technology, um, this, you know, I'm driving over highways and a pickup truck, you know, I, I can't imagine trying to come up here in the late fall and the winter and in freshly made bateau boats and, you know, doing everything that those guys did, you know, for us, you know, I feel like I'm a, I'm a trailblazer and, and an explorer, and really, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm just uh, glamoring it, you know, glamping it, I guess, glamour camping in a way. Um, so poor, uh, poor, poor Benedict. But this is a, a beautiful route, and uh, you know, if if you live in Maine or this corner of New England, you know, I, I strongly, strongly suggest. You know, take a, walk, a drive sometime. Maybe, maybe a little bit earlier in the fall. I, by the way, I am, um, I am recording this on Halloween, 2022. So I am going to actually be able to. I'm going to check out Quebec City on Halloween, and I'm expecting it. Even though it's not like high tourist season, I'm expecting to see some cool stuff for it. I don't know if. How much is going to be? Uh, I hear they, you know, they, they, there's a couple places in the city where they uh, decorate, decorate up. Um, but uh, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm also taking a ghost tour, and it's actually the last English ghost tour that they do of the year, is they do it on Halloween. So I'm going to be doing that tonight. That's, that's pretty cool. But um, I will be, I will be um, giving some more notes or sharing some more uh, of my journey with you as I as I go along and and now I'm actually come to 
by the way, I've come to where you see the old Canada Road sign. This is where you first see the spectacular view. Um, Robbins Hill scenic area. So hope to see you along the trail soon. I hope uh, I'm going to get a little exercise along the way too. And, and yes, I will be uh, trying out some local beer up there.